All right, good evening. It's good to see everybody coming on this evening. I really didn't expect anybody to be online tonight. I, I was telling Gracie on the way down here, I said, it's so beautiful. I think it was 81 degrees as we were pulling in down here, and I fully expected there to be zero people online. So I'm really happy with the amount that's on there as I was coming up here. I think it was 14 or 15 and I think some of you are watching me on, online outside. So that's, that's a, a good benefit to this online church setting that we can go outside and enjoy the weather and um, listen to a sermon. So I hope that's what you're doing tonight. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful day. Uh, we've got a good passage for you to look at tonight. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. And we'll continue in this series that we've been preaching on worry. Uh, that, that's been our focus over the last, I think, two or three weeks. And we've been trying to, and this has been our goal let me kind of explain it to you, not to get rid of worry completely, to totally obliterate it and to wipe it out so that we never have to deal with it anymore. Like, we're, well, like we have some disease and it's over and it's done and we've gotten rid of it, never to worry again. That's not our goal. We know that worry will cons- consistently come at us and, and hit us. So what we're trying to do is not completely get rid of it, but what we want to do is is to uh, learn how to deal with it when it comes, because it will repeatedly, over and over and over, come, and we'll have to fight it. We want to break through worry and not break down in worry. So that, that's been our goal, that's been our plan, and the, and the verses tonight, I think, I saved these for last, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, because I think they're exactly what we need to hear. I think these are the, the best two verses in the Bible on worry. I think you'll find here what I've titled the sermon, The Cure for Worry, uh, if there is a cure, and I, I think there is, then it's found in these two verses, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to read you a quote from one of my favorite preachers of all time, Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he said about these two verses. He said, this is undoubtedly one of the noblest, greatest, and most comforting statements which is to be found anywhere in literature. Nothing has greater comfort for God's people than these two verses. And if I had time, I'd read that to you again. You can rewind it later and, and take that quote down and, and carry it with you because I believe it's true. These are two of the most comforting verses that is in the entire Bible. Uh, he said all of literature, uh, so you'll, you won't find anything like it anywhere in the world. This is the cure for worry. So let me read you these two verses. We had, uh, I think, 14 verses this morning. We'll get two verses tonight. So we'll look at the cure for worry. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I believe these Words are exactly what we need to hear, what God wants to speak to His people through His Word tonight and in this season that we're in. So verses 6 and 7, and you'll see there, it starts out very very clearly. Be careful for nothing, which means, translates, don't worry about anything. That's a good command. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And if you do verse 6, you get verse 7. Let me just say that at the outset. If you do verse 6, you get verse 7. There's a promise here to us. If you do, write that down. If you do verse 6, you get verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These are two great verses, exactly what we need to hear. And there may be, you know, 15, 20 online right now. I anticipate that. I know our church services are Sunday night are kind of low anyway, but I expect that online too. But this is what you need to hear tonight. This is what I need to hear. This is what Gracie Bell needs to hear. And as we share this, and and I think this is what all of the world needs to hear right now, is a cure for our worry. Not a cure, get this, not a cure for the coronavirus, but a cure for our worry in the midst of a pandemic with the coronavirus. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll study these verses together. Father, we thank you for your word that 
uh, gives us all things pertaining to life and to godliness. And we have a word for the season that we're in right now. And this is an unprecedented season. Uh, we, we haven't seen anything like this in our lifetime, in our generation. So we need to learn how to face it. And God, I think we as Christians, we struggle with how to face life. It's hard to deal with. We just barely get by. But God, we really struggle when it comes to these times. So teach us tonight how to deal, how to face, how to overcome, how to wage war against our worry by showing us this cure that's found in your word. Teach us, God, here tonight, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a, a um, I guess you would say a meme that, that somebody sent me on my phone the other day that gave me a list of things that have, that have happened in, in 2020. And, and here's just a list of the things. And, and it was, it was, I got it, I think, last night. So I had to come back in and I added this into the introduction because I think it fit just perfect. But here's what's happened so far in, in 2020. Uh, th- this is what our, our days look like right now. Uh, just starting in January 1st, we've had World War III almost start. Australia has been on fire. Kobe Bryant died. Millions of people have been sick. The world is on lo- lockdown. Kim, Kim Jong-un we don't know if he's alive or dead. And then just as, as I was walking up here, I got a news alert that said there's some kind of killer bees. And I think they're hornets or that, that are called murderous hornets that have come from Asia. And all this has happened. And that's something new. I mean, I don't even know what that is. Is that, have they come to America? I mean, I, I don't know. All these things. And it's just May 3rd. I mean, it's, it's, it's likely. I'm at the point now where I, who knows what May 4th will hold. I mean, we may wake up in the morning and there's locusts in our land. I, I don't know. It makes you long for it. I mean, that, that's a lot of things for us to worry about. It makes me long for the days when the, the biggest worry that I had was lunch money and whether Steph was checking yes or no on being my girlfriend or not. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of worries. It's easy for us to worry right now because there's a lot of things for us to worry about. I mean, just look at that list that I just laid out for you. That's a lot of things that's happening in our world right now. And people are worrying more now than they ever have. It's a pandemic of worry beyond that of a sickness. So we have, again, a lot to worry about. None have ever faced what we face. So we need answers, I think, that, that not for our circumstances, but for our concerns. People are looking for answers. I was walking through Walmart last night, and I had my mask on. Not everybody did, but I had my mask on. And I was keeping my distance six feet away from everybody. And, and I was trying to follow the arrows to make sure I was going in the in aisle and out the out aisle. And I was really being very careful. And I looked up, and, and right on the shelf in, in the Walmart food section was a book on how to overcome worry. Everybody's looking for that. I, I went and I Googled it. How to overcome worry. And you can do that right now. Google how to overcome worry. And in a split second, 30 million websites popped up on my phone. 30 million results of how to overcome worry. Everybody's Google searching that. Everybody's reading it. Everybody wants to know the cure for worry. Everybody in the world, not just Christians, but everybody, how can I face this without overwhelming fear and worry and anxiety? How can I do that? We're all looking for answers. Again, not for the cure for the coronavirus, but the cure for our worry. President Trump doesn't have that. They get up and they say, we're looking for the cure. We're looking for something to, to, to wage war against this virus. You never hear him get up and say, we're waging war against worry. Here's how we can overcome. Those other doctors and experts, they don't have that. Where do we find the answers for our worry? Where do we find the cure? And that's what we've been looking for in this series. We want to find the cure for it. 
We want the answers. The world goes crazy looking forward again in the Walmart self-help book, self-help books. They look forward in the positive thinking seminars put on by, by Oprah Winfrey. They look forward in medical journals. They look forward in, in psychologists and psychiatrists. They look forward in all kinds of other places. But I believe the answer lies in the pages of Scripture. I believe the answer lies in the one place that the world isn't looking and the church really isn't looking either. I believe we open up the pages of the Bible and we're going to find the antidote, the cure for worry. And Paul gives it to us here in Philippians chapter 4. He's been showing us starting at the, at the, the, the very beginning of, of chapter 4. He'll tell you what he's doing there. Look in verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, those I love more than anybody else in the world. And that's who I'm speaking here to today. He's speaking to a church and a people that he loves. And I'm speaking to a church and a people that I love. I'm looking at you through the screen. You can see me. I can't see you. I have to dress up. You can wear your pajamas. But I'm looking at you. And what I'm saying to you is, my dearly beloved, those I love, my, my, my church family, the sheep of this, of this under-shepherd in this church, I love you, I care for you, I want to help you more than anything else in the world. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing it so that you will have a cure for your worries. That's what he's saying there in verse 1. My brethren, my dearly beloved, my longed for, my joy and my crown. Don't you love how he describes his church? He loves that church at Philippi. That's how we all ought to talk about our church. Read it again. My brethren, my dearly beloved, my longed for, I long to be with the church family again. My crown and my jewel or joy. I'm writing this to you and here's where I'm getting with it. I didn't even mean to go off on that one, but look what he says. I'm writing so you'll know how to stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Love the way he writes to his church. It's not impersonal, it's personal. And I'm writing to you so you'll know how to stand fast. I'm writing to you so you'll know how to have spiritual stability. I'm writing to you so you'll know how to stand firm in the midst of a crazy, chaotic world. I'm writing to you to teach you how to stand on your own two feet when the world gets crazy. And that's exactly what we're doing here tonight. I want to teach you. And in teaching you, I want to teach me. How to stand firm. How to stand fast. How to be steadfast and spiritually stable in the midst of life's struggles and conflicts and chaos, or as the screen behind me says, anxieties and worries and fears. How to stand on your, two, on your own two feet in the midst of this. I want to give you tonight what he gave them, the cure for worry. And I'm going to give you, I, I had an outline, I, I've got it in three different points, and, and I... And, uh, I'm going to have to do any, many, many mugs. I actually wrote down two separate sets, two separate outlines for you tonight. I didn't know which one I liked better, so I'm going to have to do any, many, many mo. Catch the tiger by its toe, um, so I can kind of figure out which set of points I want to use here tonight. But I want to, I want to preach on the cure of worry, and I'm going to start with the problem to avoid. The problem that we are to avoid, in verse 6, he tells us there very clearly, be careful for nothing. Worry is the problem that we are to avoid. And he says, be careful for nothing. That's a command that he's giving us. It's like a general giving his troops a command, do this or don't do that. And he's looking at us and he's saying to his dearly beloved, those that he loves very much, and he's saying, do not. He's not saying, guys, let's stop. He's looking at them and giving them a direct command. Do not worry about anything. That's a command. 
And Jesus will, uh, earlier in, in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, gives the same command. This is a, a divine command. Do not worry. Jesus says it three times in repetition. Do not worry. Disciples, do not worry. This is God looking at us and saying, don't worry about anything. Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean when he says worry. It doesn't mean that we can be careless. He's not saying that. He's not telling us to be carefree. He's not telling us to, to care about no one and to care about nothing. He's not telling us to have no responsibilities, to not plan for the future. He's not telling us to just go around through life saying, I just don't care about anything or anybody at all. That's not what he's saying. We're not to be careless. It's not to live by faith, to live a careless life. We are to have cares. Things that we care about. Things that we are concerned about. And what are we to be concerned about? Because that's what he's saying. This command is not telling us not to be concerned. In chapter 2, verse 20, he uses the same exact word. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care. Same word for your state. A good form of concern. A good form of care. We are to have cares. It's good to have concerns. It's good to have cares. Think of a parent for their children. Can you imagine having children and not caring about them? Not being concerned about their welfare? Not being concerned about their future? Not being concerned about who they'll marry? Not being concerned about their health? We must be concerned about our kids. That, that's what a good parent does. We are to be concerned. It's good for the church to be concerned about each other. We ought to have concern for each other. I got a prayer request this morning at 7 o'clock in the morning and I, I had concern for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I had a prayer request yesterday. And I get them all the time, this influx of, of prayer requests and I care about it and I'm concerned about my church family. That's good. Christians ought to care and be concerned for the lost. We can't just go out with a, a carefree attitude of, ah, who cares if they go to hell? Who cares if they get saved? Who cares if they die in their sins? I ain't going to worry about it. That's not what he's talking about here. We are to have a genuine, heartfelt, sympathetic concern for those who are without Jesus. Those who are still in their sins, who are going to die and spend eternity in what we talked about this morning, weeping and gnashing of teeth. We are to have genuine concern. That's the good kind of care. The good kind of concern. There ought to be concerns in our minds and in our hearts. So what is he talking about when he says in verse 6, be careful for nothing? He's talking about when concern crosses the line. And I drew a picture here in my notes of a man about to cross a line. There's a line that you cross from concern worry and there's a, there's almost a uh, and I want to say the line the line goes downward it's, it's like steps that you're going to work your way down that you go from follow this that you go from being concerned about something and, and that's good that's a genuine heartfelt sympathetic concern that you have and then you cross that line into it troubles me and from troubling me it goes into distracts me to where it's all that I think about and it consumes my mind and you go from distraction to preoccupation where it is the number one thing on your mind when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night and when you have a free thought in your mind and you're not working and laboring in something else, that thing comes into your mind. You're working your way down into something. He says, don't do that. Preoccupation becomes the last one where you're paralyzed in fear. 
Can I work my way down those steps for you again? Because that top step of concern is where you ought to be. I ought to be concerned that my kids are healthy. I ought to be concerned about lost people. I ought to be concerned about my church family. But when I'm on that top step, and that concern becomes, and I'm repeating myself so that you'll get it. That concern becomes I'm troubled about it. I'm wringing my hands about it. That troubling becomes it distracts me. And that distraction becomes I'm preoccupied with it. And that preoccupation becomes I'm so paralyzed I can't live life anymore. That's where you get to the point where you are worried, where you can't function. And that's what he's talking about in Philippians 4.6 when he says, don't do that anymore. It's a command. He says it in verse 6. It's a prohibition. It's a good word. He says, stop it. Be careful for nothing. Stop worrying. Cut it out. Cut it out. If you guys can get that reference. Cut it out. No more. Again, Paul says it here. Jesus says it in Matthew 6. This is a command. The same type of command from God that says, don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Same command. Same results. You are to obey it. Don't worry anymore. God saying it to you, stop it. Cut it out. It's a sin. We treat it as some little small sin. That's no big deal. But if worry was the only sin that you had, it'd still be a sin that sent you to hell. A sin that Jesus died for. Cut it out. It's a sin. It's not a small sin. I'll say this. Worry may be a small little sin, but it, as you get paralyzed and preoccupied in that worry, it just grows and grows and grows because when you are uh, paralyzed with worry about money, it makes you want to steal. Worry makes you want to do things that just get worse and worse and worse. So he says here, direct biblical command. Stop it. Don't worry anymore. Is what he's saying there. I mean, it couldn't be any more clear. And it's exhaustive. I mean, look at this. Be careful for nothing. That means not one thing. Nothing, not one thing. You can't worry about anything. Stop worrying about not just everything, but stop worrying about that thing. When you say, what thing? You fill in the blank, whatever it is. He's leaving it open here. Whatever they were worried about in, in Philippi, whatever we're worrying about here in 2020 on that list of murderous hornets now, stop worrying about hornets. Stop worrying about Corona. Stop letting that paralyze you. Stop letting that preoccupy your mind. Stop it. And whatever you want to add into that list, it all falls under nothing. Don't do it anymore. Be careful for, take out your ink pen and underline nothing. Fill in the blank. Go back to the list I just listed in 2020. Don't worry about that. You say, well, Josh, that's easier Said than done. <laughs> it was just that easy, right? God said, stop, we stop. I mean, it's like me looking at my kids saying, stop being mean. Okay, Dad, we'll stop it right now and never do it again. You say, Josh, that's easy. And, it's, it's been, and, and some people look at me and, they, and they, they have said that. Josh, you ain't got nothing to worry about. You can easily tell me that. <laughs> Josh, you've got 
Everything you could ever imagine. You've got a beautiful wife. You've got four healthy kids. You've got your own health. You've got a great church. You go to work in church every day and don't have to be around co-workers that are cursing and, and swearing and swarping and, and sinning and, and influencing. You, your kids are homeschooled. You don't have to worry about the influences at the public school. Josh, you don't know anything about worry, man. You got it made. You can't tell me not to worry, Josh. <laughs> I can hear you saying that through the phone. You don't know my life. You don't know my fill in the blanks. You go home, you drink your coffee, you watch your Michael Jordan documentary, and you ain't got nothing to worry about, man. You're probably right. I have the least amount to worry, uh, things to worry about than anybody in the world. And it's not just my circumstances, but I've got a God that takes care of me. Yeah, I get it. All that could change like that. But I'm not the one who wrote these words. You see that? I may be the one that's telling you these words, but I'm not the one who wrote these words. The one who wrote these words is Paul. And Paul didn't have his health. And Paul didn't have a house to go to. And Paul didn't have a paycheck. And Paul didn't have friends with him. And Paul didn't have healthy kids. And Paul didn't have a beautiful wife that we know of. And Paul didn't have all the finer, nicer things that I may have that I don't have to worry about. But boy, Paul didn't have it easy. Paul, as he's writing this, is his prisoner in Rome, chained to two guards, one on each arm. He's in lo lockdown of, of his own, crisis of his own, not knowing if he'll ever step out of a prison ever again. And he will ultimately lose his head in prison. Paul's future is dark and uncertain. Paul's sorrows are weighing on him. We read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today where he went over his list of sorrows that was so much worse than anything 2020 has ever seen. I'm not the one who's writing this, Paul is. And Paul is writing this to a church at Philippi who their worries were low level like mine. So this man who has the ultimate worries that he could be concerned about, he could be writing this letter and he could be saying, boo-hoo-hoo, -hoo, you know, poor little Paul, I'm in such a bad state, I'm just pouring my heart out to you, i got all this to worry about, let me list them to you, let me tell you about my prison, it's dark in here, it's cold in here, it's wet in here, i got two guards and the deodorant hasn't been invented yet, so they sit here and they stink and I stink and it's just the worst time ever, oh poor pitiful me when will this end when will this be over when will life get back to normal but that's not what Paul wrote Paul wrote to a church who wasn't really struggling and he was and what does he say to them stop your worrying worry about nothing what a statement from him when he says it it may mean nothing coming from me but when he says it there's weight behind it. When a man in his circumstances, when a man in his shoes says, stop your worrying, it means something big. So that's where this command comes from. Stop your worrying. That's the command. That's the problem that we are to avoid. Stop it. Take you to point two. Not just the problem that we are to avoid. I want to show you the prayer that we're to offer. Or I could call it the cure. He says in verse 6, be careful for nothing. We, we had a whole point on be careful for nothing. And then he says, but, instead. That word but there, it means instead. Here's what you do besides worry. 
What, what a statement. Instead of worrying, do this. Here's your cure. Here's how you get over worrying. It's not just a command and him say, okay, leave it at that. Here's how you stop worrying. Instead of worrying, there's a change up here. He says, it was, be careful for nothing, and now it's, pray about everything. It was, be careful for nothing, and now it's, pray about everything. So here it is. This is the cure. This is what we are to be doing. Worry is focused on the, the horizontal down here and the circumstantial and what's going on all around me. But he says here, instead of worrying around here, instead of focusing on here, on the circumstances, what's going on all around you, I want you to change your focus. Instead of worrying about everything, I want you to, to change your horizontal into a vertical and pray about everything. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. There's your cure. There's what he's telling us to do. Prayer looks up, not around. And he says, to God. We go to God. You see that at the end of verse 6? We're going to pray to God, unto God. And in verse 5 he said, the Lord is at hand. He's saying, we go, we, we got a God we can go to. The only other place that unto God is, is found in the New Testament is John 1 1. Proston Theon is that we are face to face with God. He is near, He is close, He is personal, He is right there ready to hear us when we call upon Him. So stop focusing here and start going there. What a truth! That's what we're to, to be doing. Prayer looks up to an all-sufficient, all-powerful God and unloads every single care that we have on Him. John Calvin said this, brilliant quote, this is our consolation, this is our solace, to disburden in the bosom of God everything that harasses me. (laughs) Nobody speaks like that anymore. I wish I could. I'm going to say it again. This is our consolation. This is our solace to disburden in the bosom of God face to face everything that harasses us. And then he tells us how. This is so good. And he uses three words. You say, okay, I'm, I'm to stop worrying about everything and start praying about everything. That's the cure. Stop worrying about everything and start praying about everything. Okay, that's what he's telling us to do. So now we've left you in the general state there where you're saying, okay, I've got to pray about my worries. I've got to disburden myself in the bosom of God and give him everything that harasses me. Josh, you're going to have to tell me how to pray a little bit better than that. Well, Paul gives them three words here that describes really every area of prayer. Here's how we pray. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. First word's prayer. It's in general a broad term for prayer that we are to go as we speak in our heart, in our mind, with our words, we are to go to to God face to face in prayer. I know you God, but when we bow our heads and we say, uh, Abba, Father, we know that He hears us. He is close. Again, verse 5 says that the Lord is at hand. It means He's near. He's as close as, as me whispering. When I whisper, God hears. When I pray, when I pray, He knows what I'm saying. That, that's, a, that's a phenomenal thing that we have, that we can take our cares to an Almighty God. 
So we pray. That, that's the general term for prayer. And then we have supplication. And it gets a little bit more specific in how we, how we uh, go to God in prayer. But the third word that I like better than anything else is that word requests. And everything by prayer and in supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer is general. Supplication is a little bit more specific. But request is as specific as it can get. Request is as if when, when, when a preacher stands up in a prayer meeting and says, does anybody have any requests? It's not, pray for me. I, I get that sometimes, and that's okay. You don't want to tell us. You don't want to make it public. Pray for me. That's general. That's broad. I, I go to God and I pray for you, and I say, God, them. <laughs> that's all I know. Something's going on. That's prayer. That's supplication. But when you get to request, it is, pray for me about this. Requests make it not vague, not general, not just a broad term that's thrown out there, but as a very specific term that I am taking specific cares and turning them into specific prayers. Write that down. We are to take our specific cares and turn them into specific prayers. That as our cares are very detailed, our prayers must be as detailed. If you have a list of things that you are worried about, things you are fearful of, things you are anxious about, that's causing you to panic, you take that care and you lay it out to God. You, you take it and you, you disburden yourself in the bosom of God everything that harasses you. Lay it out there. Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Make it specific. Lay it out. You say, Josh, He knows. I know that. Matthew 6 says He knows what we need to have need of before we even ask. That's Lays it out there. He knows. It's not that we're informing Him of our cares. It's that we're unloading ourselves of those cares. Very specifically. God, I am worried about murderous hornets now. God, I am worried about coronavirus. God, I am worried about the economy. God, I'm worried about my kids getting sick. God, I'm worried about am I going to have a job tomorrow. God, I'm worried about who my kids are going to marry. God, I'm worried about whether my church is going to hold together while we're not meeting for six weeks. God, I'm worried that, that I want to finish this paper and this assignment. God, I'm worried. And you're just laying everything out to God. You're taking the, the horizontal cares and you're turning them into vertical prayers. And it takes your eyes off of what's going on here and on to who is in heaven taking care of everything that's going on here. All sufficient, all powerful, all personal, near God. These are good verses. Take your specific cares. I even wrote that down. And turn them into specific prayers. And next he says, and I love this. You guys are paying attention. We're getting every word out of this. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And I haven't yet, but I think you should. Take out an ink pen and underline with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving is what, this is so good, is the attitude by which we pray when we go to Him. 
that encompasses the whole verse 6 with thanksgiving. As you pray and as you go, you don't go with the wrong attitude. You don't go to God with a bitter, angry attitude. You don't go to God with a pity party. You don't go to God and, and, and sit there and say, oh, poor pitiful me, look what I'm going through. You don't go to complain. You don't go to demand. You don't even go to question. When you go to God in prayer, if you want to get rid of your worries, you go to God with an attitude of thanksgiving. That everything you say, you're adding thanks to it. You want to talk about turning a frown upside down? List your things you're thankful for. One of my favorite songs, and we don't sing it enough, is I just want to thank you, Lord. Every time you pray, I'll say this, every time you get worried about the things that are going on here, take them to God and turn them into thanksgiving. You say, how do I do that? That thanksgiving ought to be the mindset that characterizes all of our prayers. That I'm starting out with thank you. I'm working thank you in throughout the prayer. And I'm closing with thank you. That my heart and my mind is thanking him. I'll give you an example of how this is done. I thought it was out of this world. Charles Spurgeon said this about this passage. He said, you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm ill. I bless you for this affliction, for I'm sure that it means some good thing for me. And then he goes on to say, now be pleased to heal me. I beseech you, Lord, heal me. You see how he added Thanksgiving in there? I mean, can you imagine that? Lord, I thank you. We're going through a hard time with this virus that is, a, is, is overcoming our land. I thank you for it. For I'm sure, God, that some way, somehow, you are using this for our benefit. Now would you please take it away from us? Lord, I'm struggling because our church can't meet. It's been six weeks, Lord, since we've been able to have church together. And I had about ten people with me this morning, and it was almost like Easter for me. God, I miss them. God, I want them to be back again. God, it's, getting, it's been old and it's getting old. See, I'm complaining. I'm going through a tough time. But I thank you, God, because you're working that out in some way and somehow for the church's good. I know you are. You've got a plan in this for the church. And I'm going to trust you with it. Thank you for that. Now would you please let us meet again soon? He adds another one here. Lord, I'm in great trouble. But I praise you for this trouble. For I know that in that trouble can, there's a blessing that is just hidden in an envelope with a black edge. Nobody talks like Spurgeon either. Hidden inside that envelope that is black on the edges is a blessing. You say, how can you do that? God, I thank you that you've given me cancer. How? Somewhere deep down in this, there's a blessing inside that envelope that has a black edge. Can you turn every single burden, care, worry, anxiety, and fear into a prayer of thanksgiving? When you can do that because you trust an almighty, all-sovereign, all-caring, all-loving God, when you do that, you're reaching the point when you can find the cure for your anxiety. 
And when you do that, there's a guarantee that God will respond. I told you, if you'll do verse 6, you'll get verse 7. It's a guarantee. If you do what I've just laid out here in verse 6, God will act and He will intervene on our behalf. If you do verse 7, which is the root, you'll get, if you do verse 6, which is the root, you'll get verse 7, which is the fruit. It's a sure and tested way to, to get an answer to your prayers here. If you do verse 6, you'll get verse 7. If you will, uh, uh, stop your worrying. Stop worrying about the horizontal here. And I'm going to repeat myself just so you, just in case you, you've, you've forgotten it or you've cut me off or something going on at your house that, that, I, that I, I can't see. There's no distractions here for me. But if you will, stop your worrying about all this horizontal stuff, all the things that are going on down here. If you'll turn your cares into prayers, and in that prayer you're being specific, and you're telling Him everything that's going on, and you're doing it with an attitude of thanksgiving, then God will do what He says in verse 7. If you'll do verse 6, what we just laid out, if you take the cure, if you take the medicine, God will give you the cure. You say, what's the cure? Look what he says in verse 7. If it takes me as long to preach verse 7 as it did verse 6, we're going to be here a while. It's the third point. The peace we enjoy. Or you could call it the comfort. If you guys want to write down both outlines I have. The peace we enjoy. He doesn't say here, verse 6, you, do, you, you say the prayer. You have the attitude of thanksgiving, the act of prayer, and the attitude of prayer. If you do that, it doesn't say in verse 7, and God will grant all your wishes like He's a genie. It doesn't say that God will solve all your problems. It goes way much deeper than that. God is not a genie that you rub the lamp and He does exactly what you say and all your circumstances down here are changed. He can do that. He may do that. But He doesn't promise to do that. He nowhere promises that if we pray like this, that He will change everything that's going on down here. Don't try it. We could go to God and we can pray exactly as it says in verse 6. We can say, God, please take the, the coronavirus away. And we could do everything as it said. But verse 7 doesn't promise that He will change our circumstances. It promises us that He's going to change us. And that's the key to this. I love this quote by John MacArthur. He says, the real challenge of Christian living is not to see if we can eliminate every uncomfortable issue in life. The real issue is to see if we can trust God in the midst of every bad circumstance in life. Our, the challenge isn't to change this. The challenge is to trust Him. And He says if you do verse 6, He will answer. But what's His answer? If you pray verse 6, He'll give you verse 7, which is the peace of God. What more could you ask for? He won't calm. He doesn't promise to calm the storm. He promises to calm you. He promises to calm us down. He says, and the peace of God, and that's the only place I've found, and there may be more, somebody can double check me on that, but it's the only place in the New Testament I've found it called the peace of God, and it's promised to us. He offers us peace, which is a joy and a calm that comes down from God. You pray up to God and He gives peace down from God. And it's not just any peace. It's not just any calm. It's not just any assurance. It's not just any joy. This is a peace that belongs to God. 
It is a peace that God Himself has. That God Himself possesses. Charles Spurgeon, I know I'm giving you a lot of quotes here tonight, but there's so much good material on this. Spurgeon calls it the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God. It belongs to Him. It's that God never panic panics. It's that God never paces. There's never a time that God gets up off of His throne and starts to pace back and forth in front of it, worrying and concerned about what He's going to do. It never happens. Our God is an infinitely happy unruffled serenity in heaven. And he says that, this is great, that is the peace that God has in heaven, the peace that Jesus had while He was on earth. Not one time do you find Jesus worried. He had concerns. But He never crossed the line into worry. Because He was a perfect Savior. He never sinned. There was a never crossing that line. He had perfect peace as Isaiah says, because his mind was stayed upon the Lord. So there it is. The peace God the Father has in heaven now. The peace that God the Son had while He was here walking the earth. The peace of the Holy Spirit will come down to us and we'll have it. His very own peace will be within us. If you do verse 6, you'll have verse 7. You'll have the peace of God. What a promise. And it's not just any peace. Look what he says. The peace of God. That is, and I want to put it in Josh terms. That is out of this world. That the world can't comprehend. That passes all understanding. I wrote down some things here. That the human mind can't grasp. That, this is peace that the human mind says, I can't wrap my mind around that. Peace that the human mind can't reproduce. You can't find his peace in psychology. You can't find his peace in psychiatry. You can't find his peace in that book in Walmart. You can't find his peace in Oprah's Book of the Month Club. You can't find this peace in a self-help book. You can't find this piece in a medical journal. You can't work this piece up. This piece defies all logic and transcends all intellect. Theologians say this, that it is a piece that is supra-rational, which means it is so wonderful that it can't be fathomed. I'm using a lot of words here for you. I'm trying to, to preach this. That's what it says when it surpasses passes all understanding. It goes, and that's what it is, it goes beyond anything we've ever seen before. Let me say it this way. We've seen men hit baseballs. 550 feet. And that's a big boy home run. Rare. But when he says it passes all understanding, that's like somebody hitting a baseball a thousand feet. It goes so far beyond. It's not just a little bit of the broken record. It's shattering records. That's what this peace is. Unbelievable, unfathomable peace of God. And here's what it means. Here we are as Christians. Living in the same world as unbelievers. 
And we as Christians, no matter what these prosperity preachers want to tell you, we will, and there's not a lot of prosperity preaching being done right now. I've seen preachers, I saw a preacher, not, right before all this started, and I shouldn't get into this, but a preacher right before all this started had a program in his church. If you start giving this much, and you do it for 90 days, and if God doesn't bless your finances, we'll give it back to you. And then a pandemic hits. People's money start dropping. Where's that promise now? God never promised that we'd have a lot of money. We live in the same world that everybody else does. It rains on us just like it rains on unbelievers. We get sick. We get cancer. We have struggles in our marriage. Our kids rebel and become prodigals. It happens to us just like it does to them. We live in a, a fallen world. The coronavirus is, is hitting unbelievers and believers. No matter what these, these prosperity preachers want to tell you, and these preachers with their jackets knocking people over and healing them, I've not seen a one faith healer go into a coronavirus hospital and heal one person during this. They're hiding in their houses just like everybody else is. Why? We live in a fallen world. We're going to face bad times. We're going to have heartaches. We're going to have pain. We're going to have bills that we don't know if we can pay them or not. The difference is, and it's a big difference, they panic. And we have the peace of God. And they look at us and they say, where in the world, say it this way, how in the world can they remain calm when the world is falling apart? I started with this. The world is begging for answers to worry. Begging for it. 30 million hits in a split second on Google. Books lining up the aisles in Walmart. Everybody's looking. And when they see us calm in the midst of chaos, and they see a peace that they just can't understand. How can you be calm in the midst of that? How can you be calm when your kid's fighting cancer? How can you be calm when the bills are due and you ain't got enough money in the bank to pay it? How can you be calm when the church doors have been closed? How can you be calm when your marriage is struggling? How can you do that? And we point them to the sole source of that peace, which is God Himself. If we can show the world peace in the midst of a pandemic, they will flock to us like moths to a flame. Where did you get that? How did you get that? How can I have that? Nobody, nobody, and I'll say it one more time, nobody is drawn to a worry wart. Nobody. The world doesn't, they're worry warts themselves. They're going to be drawn to a people that are worry warts. I don't know if you've heard that. It's hard to say. I wrote that down, but I didn't know how hard it would be to say. But it's true. Ain't nobody coming to you saying, where'd you get that worry at? I want to be just like you. People followed Jesus around because when they ran out of food, he, he supplied more food. He didn't worry. When the storms came, they ran to Jesus. He wasn't worried. 
He will follow him around. The world will flock to those who are calm in the midst of a storm. And we're seeing way too many churches that are, that are, oh no, the government's against us. Oh no, we're going to die. Oh no, it's the end of the world. Oh no, oh no, oh no. But where are the churches that are saying, peace of God. It's going to be okay. Not worried about here. Because I'm taking it there. I've turned my cares into prayers. And it'll be fine. When I find myself falling down the steps of worry and about to cross that line, that's when I hit my knees and turn my cares into prayers. And that's when God gives the supernatural, surpassing peace of God. Wow. The world don't get it, but boy, do they want it. And when you have it, look what it does. This is This is good. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard you. The word keep, you've heard, you've heard me say that. Keep, guard your mind, keep your mind. That word keep is, is like a prison guard watching over a prison. But that peace that he gives us, this is, this is I, mean, I keep saying it's so good. I mean, I've just enjoyed, I've listened to 15 sermons on this this week. Read commentaries. This is just so good. So rich. So deep. So full. And when you get that peace of God, that peace of God will guard your, not your body, to keep you from sickness. Not your possessions, your bank account. But it will guard. That peace of God that He gives you will guard the two things that need guarding the most. The two things <laughs> that that bring the worry into our life is our mind and our heart. Our mind starts thinking and our heart starts feeling. Our mind starts thinking, oh no. My heart starts feeling, oh no. My mind starts thinking, oh no, what's going to happen tomorrow? Murderous hornets from Asia. My heart starts saying, oh no, I'm going to die. Stay inside. But when you turn your cares into prayers, God gives you a peace that guards the two places that need guarding. That I'm not going to let, that peace is going to guard my mind so that I'm not going to let anything get in here. That's going to take my peace away. It's going to guard. It's going to be like, it's going to be like I ain't going to listen to CNN. No! The peace of God says no! Conspiracy theories, no! Possibilities, no! Graphs and figures, no! Not getting in here. Because outside of my mind is the peace of God. That will keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. Mind. That peace guards my mind. And the mind is the entrance to the heart. If I think it, I'll feel it. Guards here, guards here. Guards here and guards here. God guard my mind and God guard my heart so that I don't become overcome with worry. So he says it will guard your emotions and your mind. 
the exact thing in the exact place our mind and our hearts need. So that we'll have, get this, peace of mind and peace of heart. Isn't that what we're looking for? And where is it found? I'm closing. I love those last three words. Underline them. Highlight them. Guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus has a monopoly on peace. There's an old sign that was in our church uh, gym at First Baptist Pound. My pastor was a wonderful man, and he put a sign up above the scoreboard. We had a nice gym at Pound. Had a scoreboard up. And above that scoreboard, I don't know if it's still there or not, but there's a sign that said, No Jesus, no peace. N-O. No Jesus, N-O. No peace, N-O. And then below that, it said, No Jesus. It's a good play on words. K-N-O-W. If you know Jesus, you'll K-N-O-W. Peace. And it's so true. If you don't have Jesus, you won't have peace. But if you do have Jesus, you'll have peace. That's what he's saying here. There's only one place you'll find it. It's found exclusively in Jesus Christ. So with that, when the world comes and asks you, where in the world did you find that peace? Where did you get that? How do you have that? How can you smile? How can you laugh? Why do you look so peaceful? Why aren't you panicking? Why aren't you blaming the government? Why aren't you? What, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Where can I get it? We point them that it's found only through Christ Jesus our Lord. That if you'll know Jesus, you'll know the same peace that I know. There's not a drop of peace in the world outside of the Prince of Peace. There's not a moment of calm outside of Christ. There's not a second of comfort outside of Christ. There's not one ounce of cure for the worries that overwhelm us outside of Jesus Christ. So let me close with this question. Do you want peace like this? Is that something you desire? I do. And I think it's something that you would want too. Anybody watching? I mean, there could be two people watching or 20 people watching. I think 2,000 people need to, need to hear this. But I think anybody that's watching this right now or will watch it later would say, yes, I want that peace. I need it. I desire it. I, I want it. Well, get this. He's not hiding it. <laughs> it's not. It's not like he's playing hide and seek with it. My kids love to play hide and seek. And they'll hide in one place. And they're, Get this. The, the point of hide and seek is to not be found. And God is not hiding peace. It's not like he's sitting there saying, Oop, almost got me there. Oop, almost found it. Oop, can't get no, no, oh, oh, no. And he's playing games with us like it's some kind of cat and mouse game. That's not how he works. Here it is if you want it. If you'll do verse 6, you'll have verse 7. There's two lanes we can take. I heard a preacher say this, and I added it just the other day, just before we came up here. 
There's two lanes we can take. You can choose to panic or you can choose to have peace. And how do you have that peace? You pray. So tomorrow morning when you wake up and, it's, and I'm going to go down those steps to worry, drop to your knees and take your cares and turn them into prayers. And get up and have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, keeping your heart and your mind. So you can have it. If you'll do verse 6, you'll have verse 7. And if you're an unbeliever, I can't can't promise it to you in verse 6. The only way you'll ever have the peace of God is if you have peace with God. Let me say that again if you're an unbeliever. And if you're an unbeliever watching us tonight, thank you for watching. And for sticking out with us here tonight. I think this is something you need too. You need to have peace. So if you're an unbeliever watching now or you're an unbeliever watching later, let me tell you this. You don't have peace the peace of God, because you're not at peace with God. The Bible says that before you're saved as an unbeliever, that you're not at peace with God, that you're an enmity with God, that you're an enemy of God, that you're a child of Satan, that you're a, a, you're a follower of Him, even if you say you're not, that this is you and God. And peace, you must come to terms of peace with God before you'll ever have the peace of God. You say, what's the terms? I used to live in Appomattox. And we'd go to the Appomattox courthouse where the the civil war was ended where they signed for peace surrender (laughs) and you go into that place and there it is i've got a picture on my phone of the table there where they sit down and they signed the agreement the terms of peace between the north and the south you must sit down and not sign but submit yourself to the terms that I'm giving myself to the Lord Jesus Christ wholly and completely. I am His and He is mine. I surrender all. I give Him my sin. He gives me His righteousness. I give Him my life. He gives me eternal life. I'm surrendering to Him. And when you surrender yourself to Christ, then and only then can you have peace with God. And then you can have the peace of God. And I pray that you'll do that. Because I desire for every person that watches this not to have my peace. Because there's lots of days I'm like this. I desire for you to have the peace of God which passes all understanding. May God grant it to you tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I think it was just a super, super two verses. Just just like Martin Lloyd-Jones said, this is undoubtedly one of the noblest, greatest, most comforting statements which can be found anywhere in literature. (laughs) But God, it's nothing to us unless we put it into action. So I pray that the people watching and me standing up here can turn my cares into prayers tonight. And that you will, God, give us the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for that. There's peace that we're saved and we're going to go to heaven if we die. But there's also peace in knowing I have a sovereign God who cares for me very deeply, who's taking care of everything in my life right now. So may we all find, God, that peace that you're offering here in these verses. 
Give my church family your peace. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.